Hey everybody, it's Philip Riccobono and you're listening to the ComingToAmericaBaseball.com podcast, episode 11. The only podcast coming to you from Korea about Pacific Rim Baseball in English. Uh, this week we talked to Chris Oxpring on location. Um, he is a pitcher, right-handed pitcher for the Locate Giants. He's Australian. He's pitched in the Olympics, in the World Baseball Classic. And uh, just coming off a big, complete game win for uh, Lotte uh, the other night. Um, we talked about what he was doing leading up to the WBC in February. He was actually out of baseball baseball for about six months. Find out what he was doing. And uh, we also talked about his knuckleball, which uh, he may craft and uh, may keep him in baseball for a long, long time. His uh, working with uh, R.A. Dickey. And uh, just playing in the KBO, Japan, and MLB. Um, we also touched on some KBO stars that he's faced, such as Kim Dae-goon. So we start out the interview with him talking about the big rivalry, rivalry between the Hunchin Tigers and the Yamayuri Giants. He played for Hunchin uh, back in Japan. The, the, the background and the history that goes, goes on between those two teams is... The, you know, Red Sox-Yankees. That's the only thing that I can compare it to. Um, you know, playing at Koshan Stadium, you know, it's black and yellow. You know, all the fans have, you know, the thunder sticks and the, and the balloons and, and the team colours on, and then they have one section that's for the, for the opposing team. You know, you're talking about a 55,000-seat stadium and 5,000 seats for the opposing team and 50,000 for the home team. I mean, that's just unheard of probably anywhere else in the world. Um, and, you know, that rivalry is, you know, is everything. It's like Game 7 of the World Series every day you play between those those two clubs. And, um, you know, it was, it was a whole new aspect for me as a baseball player to be involved in that kind of, in that kind of thing, you know. Um, I'd never really... Um, been in that kind of environment before. You know, I'd played in the big leagues and, you know, I'd played the Giants at AT&T Park. You know, I'd played the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Um, and, and, you know, those rivalries are, you know, are different, you know. Anybody can go into Yankee Stadium and play the Yankees. Boston goes into Yankee Stadium and plays the Yankees. It's a whole new level, you know. It's, it's different. For whatever reason, and I don't have the vocabulary to explain it, it's just, it's different. There's something different there that goes on when those clubs oppose one another. And Hatred? <laughs> well, yeah, yes, but it's hatred with passion, you know. Um, there's passion of the two cities to, to be recognised for, for the city and for the club and for the team and for the players and stuff like that. I mean... You know, ironically enough, you have Johnny Damon, who was the leader of, you know, the what did they call themselves, the Crazy Gang or whatever it was that the Red Sox were known idiots. as, the Idiots. Or something like you know, that. Yeah. Um, you know, the caveman leading yeah. the Idiots. You know, in the Yankee Stadium, who are prime and pristine and, you know, clean cut and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, a couple of years later, he turns around, he plays for the Yankees. Helps you know, him win a World Series. Helps him win a World Series. You know, you got Euclid, you know, the the heart and soul of that club for so long now plays for the Yankees it's funny you know but 
the the passion that goes on between clubs like that it, you know it's you walk in and you become part of that club and you take on that heartfelt feeling of you know when we play them we're going to we're going to beat the crap out of them you know then you put that other uniform on and you feel that same way back backwards again so i don't know how to explain it any better than that but but it's just there it's you know, ingrained as much as the logo is on the hat, it's ingrained in the club itself. So, do you know your Korean nickname? Yeah, Okchining. Yeah. Yeah. Chunin is what, spring? Yeah, yeah. Chun is um, spring in Chinese. Right. What, how did you feel about that? Oh, I'd, you know what? They they um, they came up with that initially when I played for LG. And I just thought somebody had come up with a nickname for me and then somebody explained to me what Chun was and stuff like that. Um, and you know what, that's, that goes back to what we were saying earlier is, you know, those are things that are thought out, you know, they're, they're well, they're well thought out, you know, it's, it's a nickname for me, you know, great, you know, I've had a, a few nicknames, you know, throughout my career in different places and stuff like that, and, um, you know, it took somebody a little bit of thought process to come up with that, so, you know, I, I think it's awesome, and, you know, people call it out to me, and, you know, I turn around, and then they kind of don't don't know that I know it and stuff like that, but it's 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 great. So you've pretty much you made your mark. Uh, let's just start off. You've arrived here in Korea this year in March, uh, kind of a last-minute roster addition. Some some so another foreigner uh, was hurt, um, so you joined the team. But I like to call you a not only a journeyman, an international journeyman. I mean. Uh, talk about the the crazy road a little bit that has taken you here. Oh man, okay. Where do I? All right, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Um, First off, how'd you get into baseball being an Australian? Uh, you know what? I I had an older brother who was nine years older than me. Um, played rugby, you know, growing up in Australia. Played played rugby league. You know, my dad was a passionate rugby league fan. Um, he, he didn't enjoy playing rugby league. Um, we had family and friends who played fast pitch softball in Australia. So that was a wintertime sport which kind of clashed with, with football. So he had to kind of decide what he wanted to do. So baseball was the summertime option. He took up that and, you know, being the little brother, the tag along, you know, he went to all the, all the baseball games and stuff like that. And, you know, in the backyard with him, you know, with a bat and a ball and a tee and a glove and stuff like that. And started out, you know, I've got photos of me when I was still in diapers and stuff like that, hitting balls off the tee and glove in hand and things like that. So that started, you know, 30, 30 plus years ago. But to get into professional baseball, uh, 1999, uh, talking to some friends who were going to travel to the United States to go and play like semi-pro baseball. Um, you know, a couple of days a week, work a work a, an unofficial job t- type thing with the club, and decided I was going to try that. You know, get out of Australia for a while. Uh, long story short, ended up getting an offer to go to an independent league team. Took that, went played there, played played okay, um, but threw the ball pretty well. Um, threw the ball with good velocity. Uh, got got invited to a tryout camp with the San Diego Padres. Signed in um, September of 2000, out of the tryout camp. Five years with the Padres, um, September call-up in 2005, you know, made my Major League debut September 2nd. Um, you know, and that was that was the, the epitome of my, my dreams and my goals and, 
of what I wanted to accomplish and be as a baseball player, like my dream was to get to the big leagues. Uh, but not only get there, to stay there and be successful at the major league level uh, and, and spend a long career there. Uh, and that's where the fork in the road starts for me, you know, internationally. Um, got a call in, you know, late November, early December, uh, right around the time where they've got to announce the roster, the 40-man rosters and stuff like that and start planning their next year. Um, got a call from Kevin Towers saying, look, there's a, there's a chance here for you to go and play in Japan. The team that's really interested in you, um, you know, we think it might be a good opportunity for you to go there. You know, you'll get to play every day, be part of their major league club. Um, if you come back here, you know, we'd really love you to come back. You know, you've done great things for the club in your career here. Um, you'd probably be, you know, the AAA big league call up, the guy that's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, you know, what do you think? And, you know, long story short, I ended up signing in Japan, went to Japan in 2006, um, started out really well, um, had a really good, you know, April and May, then kind of hit a, uh, you know, a little bump, you know, had a bad outing and um, we started to work to, to change some small things and, um, you know, had an okay outing, got sent to the minor leagues and, and that was basically it. I didn't get, you know, got a call up every now and again back to the major league level in Japan and just didn't work out you know it was one of those things you know it's the culture part of it um probably uh, yeah probably um you know i i approach spring training as you would in the united states come in you know be healthy enough to start throwing bullpens but be ready come april you know whereas they go in ready right from day one i didn't do that you know i went in the same as i would normally go into a spring right. training um and i don't know if that put them off would I do the same thing again if I went back in time, back to 06? Hell no. You know, I'd go in ready to play, be in April shape in February or Jan January, excuse me. Um, you know, so um, they released me from a contract, you know, at the end of the season, you know, because they had an option for the following year if everything went well. Um, so in 2000 and 2007, I... Um, Signed with uh, with Milwaukee, um, you know, major league invitee. Went into spring training, had a really good spring training with Milwaukee. Um, they sent me to AAA, which you know I, I knew was going to happen. They'd had their they had their roster set going in. That was fine. Uh, had an exceptional season in 2007. Probably had one of my best first half of the year that I had in my whole career. Um, you know, uh, was going to start the All Star game. Same thing again, you know, it wasn't going to work out in Milwaukee. Decided to sign here in Korea with LG. Um, and that was one of the best decisions that I'd made for myself personally. You know, I came in here, found a really good fit with, with the club, with, the, with my teammates, with, you know, everything. Everything just seemed to, you know, fall into place and it all just worked really well. Um, and that was the start of, you know, a, a, well, not necessarily a long career with LG, but it was... You know, it was parts of three seasons, which for me was the first time I'd really settled in since um, since I'd been with San Diego. It was always just a short stint in all the places, and um, unfortunately got hurt in '09. Required, you know, significant surgery. I had Tommy John surgery in 2009. You know, did some recovery. Uh, the the recovery went well. You know, the recuperation and the surgery went really, really well. 
Um, LG called me in the end of 2010 and said, look, you know, there's a possibility that we might, might want to bring you back. Um, you know, can you come over here? We want to see where you are physically, how your recovery is going, how your rehabilitation is going, um, check you out and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. So I came over here for a couple of weeks, did all of that kind of stuff. You know, they were kind of 50-50 on whether they want to bring me back for, you know, like a September call-up type thing. My wife was pregnant with our, with our third child at that stage, due on the 1st of September, and it was like, you know, what do I do? Didn't end up coming back. Um, you know, then that year had to decide if I wanted to go back to the States or come back to Korea, you know. Got an offer from the Detroit Tigers to go over there as a major league invitee again. Um, from the, um, yeah, I forgot his name, but there's an Australian scout for the Tigers. Kevin Hooker? Yes. Yeah, that was, that was through, yeah, him. through him. You know, he watched me play in the, um, in the, Austra- in the ABL, mm-hmm. the Australian Baseball League. Um, you know, my velocity had gone way back up again. My control had gone way back up. My command was really good. Um, you know, my health-wise, I was in really good shape. And, you know, so they come to the party with an offer. So I called LG straight away and said, look, there's an offer on the table from the Tigers. I've got, you know, a very short period of time. Can you tell me what's going on? They were humming and harring, and it got to the point where I had to make a decision on whether I wait for an offer from LG or I sign with Detroit. And I signed with Detroit, and, you know, about 18 hours later, I got a call from LG saying, you know, we've got an offer for you. And I'm like, I've already signed. You know, I told you a week ago that I needed to make a decision you know, I'm sorry, you know, I know we talked about this, but I had to make a choice and, you know, I've done that and, you know, that kind of, um, it was a bit of bitter irony for me, you know, um, I love playing at LG, I love being there, the fans, the, the city where I lived, you know, everything, everything was great. Um, and, you know, my relationship with, uh, with the international scout was very, very good up until that point, and I think that kind of that decision there affected our relationship, um, which, which I wasn't happy with. You know, I, I didn't want to af- affect that relationship, and, and it did, and, and that was a disappointing thing for me. And and I knew it would up, I knew it would affect the relationship once I found out, and you know, at that point, it was too late to to go back. So. Um, 2011 was was one of the worst <laughs> worst situations, worst worst years for me. You know, um, it just didn't work out for the, with with me and the Tigers. There, it just wasn't a good fit for either for either party. They really didn't have room for me um, as a player. You were in Toledo, right? Yeah, I was in yeah. Toledo. Uh, I, I was the I was the 13th guy on a 12-man pitching staff. Um, you know, it was a lack of communication um, all the way up and down, and it just just worked out badly. Ended up getting released in the middle of May. Went and played independent league for the rest of the year, which for me was great. In you know, the states, in the states, I played in the Atlantic League. I was in Somerset, New Jersey. So you played um, against the Long Island Ducks. Yeah, against yeah, the Long Island Ducks. I grew up on Long Island. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I got back to a point where I started to enjoy baseball again. Um, you know. Because you weren't there for the money. You weren't there for, you know, oh, shit, am I going to get called up to the big leagues next week? I was there to play baseball, you know. I was there to to get back to where I was, you know, early in the 2000s. And, 
and I found it again and I started to enjoy baseball again and you know the, the, the second part of the season for me like July, August and September was, was fun you know it was fun on and off the field you know I had a good time out in the field I played with a great group of guys we, we weren't necessarily successful as a club um, but I played with a great group of guys I, I um, got to work with a pitching coach who played in the big leagues you know, had been all uh, Brett Jody. His name is. Okay. He's now the manager of the Somerset Patriots. Okay. Um, and he helped me with some things that I'd been kind of lacking uh, as a pitcher, um, which you know for me helped a lot. You know, last year I didn't play anywhere at all. You know, I was tossing up. You know, whether to go to Taiwan and play there, which I didn't really have much interest in. I was pondering going back to independent league again knowing that my, you know, my wife and kids wouldn't be able to come. You know, my son was in school. So, so you were able to just kind of chill out for a year? Uh, yeah, I kind of chilled out for a couple of months. <laughs> and it got to a point where I was really like, I was bored. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if baseball was finished for me as a career. You know, I turned 35. Kind of by that stage, a lot of, a lot of guys playing careers are over. Um, and I thought, well, it's about time. If it's over, I've got to start making... You know, I've got to start thinking about a new career for myself, you know. Um, what would you do? What, what, well, I actually, what? I actually went and I applied for a job at a bank. Really? Um, and I started working at a bank in, um, in late July and did that all the way up until I left for the WBC uh, in February. What did you do with the bank? I was just a bank teller to start with. Wow. Um, but I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to go through. That was like, for me, it was just getting in the door. Uh, I wanted to go through and do something along the lines of financial planning or, um, you know, private wealth, that kind of stuff, um, you know, commercial banking. And, and it was a stepping stone for me, you know, I worked close to home, I was a couple of minutes from home, um, and it, it was good. Um, and then baseball rolled around again and they, they kind of clashed a little bit, but my boss was accepting because, you know, I'd explained who I was and what I was doing beforehand. and. You know, WBC came along and the offer from here came along and you know I had to leave my job but it, it was it was a good it was a good situation you know I found myself in a really really good environment uh, working environment you know and baseball came along again and got in the way and you know I've just put that on hold but you know hopefully once hopefully once this is over if I get an opportunity I'll go back there again but you know at the same time I hope this isn't over for a, a lot more years. So, but you, you didn't mention that uh, in 2004 you won the silver medal <laughs> with Australia, and you you won two games. Yeah. Uh, now Wikipedia had you beaten Japan twice, but then another website had Italy and Japan. Yes. Yeah. So it's Italy and Japan. Italy and Japan. Okay. Yeah, I pitched against Italy in the first and in the first round. Yeah, and you faced Daisuke Matsusaka. I mean, yeah. that, can you talk about that experience? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, 2004 was my first true experience of being on the national team. I'd represented um, Australia in 2002 at the Intercontinental Cup in Taiwan, which was kind of, it, it was the Australian team, but it was really low-key, you know, it was really, um, I don't know, I don't know the right word, but it wasn't, it wasn't that overwhelming excitement that you get when you put your, when you put your national colours on. Now take that to the epitome of any world sporting event, the Olympic Games. 
you've got 15,000 athletes there, the epitome of the athletic community. You've got the best athletes in the world, all in one place, all at one time. The, the feeling of just walking in, you know, into the village, something that I've never experienced before. Like I've walked into major league clubhouses and been with the epitome of baseballing athletes and that's an experience unto itself but you see the likes of Maurice Green walking around, you see the likes of you know, I met um, Tim Duncan and the USA basketball team you know, I met the uh, Olympic 100 meter women's gold medalist that year um, you know, I, I met a whole bunch of athletes that I'd never get to the opportunity to meet again simply because we were all in one place at one time now, to go to the baseballing side of things, it, it was different again. You know, you were playing, there was no tomorrow. You know, uh, every game was, you know, 3-2 pitch, two out bottom in the ninth load of base and Barry Bonds at home plate. You know, that, that's what every game was like. So, when I got on the mound to, to face Italy, we didn't really know much about the club, about them as a team. Um, didn't really have an extensive scouting report on them. Um, we knew they had a couple of players who were pretty good that were, you know, AAA kind of major league caliber, you know, guys. Um, you know, I pitched, I threw the ball really, really well. Um, I think I threw eight innings or something like that. Uh, we ended up winning, you know, four nothing or something like that. Then we played Japan the next day, I think it was, and we end, went beat up on them really really badly we we shocked them i think it was nine to four or something like that we you, beat knew, up. you knew about dice k then. yeah well, but that we didn't face dice k that day we faced right. somebody else <coughs> excuse me and um you know we ended up getting making it through to the top four um and we found out we were going to play japan for the semi-final game and there was me and another guy that they were kind of pondering who they were going to start and the manager, John Diebel, came over, came to me and he said, we're going to start you against Japan. And I went, you know, great. So luckily for us and for me, we had Jeff Williams on the team who played for Hanshin. So I don't know, for about an hour, I guess, before the game, you know, Jeff, myself and um, David Nielsen sat down and basically went over each and every hitter about how to approach each guy what to do, how we were going to go about it, um, and how in general we were going to approach the game, like the mentality that we are going to take into the game. Um, so you he know, gave a scouting report, kind of like Sadowski did for the Netherlands. Yeah. The Netherlands, and, you know, it worked. Yeah. They beat, they beat up Korea pretty good. So, um, you know, we went into that game, and, you know, I was nervous. I was, it was my first you know, true test of facing a baseball powerhouse, you know. Um, oh, you know, you're facing a, an MLB roster right there. There was $100 million running out onto that field. You know, you, you're not talking about Joe Schmo out there. You're talking about Fukudomi. You're talking about Jojima. You're talking about Ogasawara. Um, Abe. Abe. Yep. You know, they're, they're all of those... Matsui. Matsui. All of those guys were there, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, the only guy they were missing was Ichiro. Um, you know, so to go to pitch in that game and to win one to nothing and, and you know, beat Dice K, uh, that was, you know, people ask you about days that you remember forever, and that's one.
for me. Did you get a chance to talk to Dice K before or after the game? No, no, I didn't. Um, you know, the publicity that they were put under, the scrutiny that that team was put under is specifically, you know, um, I, man, I can't tell you. Like, we sat in the, uh, in the media room afterwards, after that game. We were there probably an hour after that game. And I think John and I answered maybe half a dozen questions each. Um, the Japanese reporters grilled the manager and Daisuke about that because, you know, they'd lost each of the three the, pre- the three previous Olympic Games. They hadn't progressed to the gold medal game. You know, and they were expected to win the gold medal every, every time and they'd never been there. Um, you know, so... You know, for us as a nation, that, that was our biggest sporting achievement ever. We'd never finished better than seventh in an Olympic Games before. Um, and we knew that we, at worst, we were going we to win a silver medal. Um, so, I mean, that game, man, that'll be etched in my memory forever. Uh, I read that you throw the knuckleball. Yeah. Have you thrown it since you've come back to play? I threw it last night you against okay. Kim Tae-Gun. Um, threw it for a ball, but... Not so much now as I did previously when I was when I was here in 07 and 08. I threw it a lot, um, and haven't necessarily thrown it a lot since I've had Tommy John, um, for no other reason than just trying to make sure the rehabilitation was has gone well and that I can pitch and stuff like that. So, you know, throughout this season, it, um, I'd like to try and re-establish it as part of my you know my repertoire. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that's there. It's something that I can do, and um, you know these guys love it. They think it's fantastic, and you know it, it's it's fun. You know, maybe one day I'll throw it full time. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, look at Ari Dick. He's thirty-eight. You mentioned you know you're thirty-five now. Yeah, could keep you going a long time. When did <laughs> when did uh, Phil Necro throw it until he was well? Forty-five. Into his, yeah, something like that. I think he came over here last summer to help somebody with. With, really? With the knuckleball. Yeah. Uh, Dan posted a video on his website. On oh, really? KBR. Yeah, I'll, I'll find out who that is. Yeah, I'll ask no, um, you know, there, there was the possibility that that might have been an option for me. You know, um, John Diebel is involved with the Boston Red Sox. You know, obviously they've got Wakefield that works for them and stuff like that. That could that may have been a possibility. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. It might, you know, maybe one day it might still be a possibility. Where did you learn it from? I told myself, just every day for a whole season, just decided that, you know, once everything was over and I was finished, you know, doing my baseball stuff, that I would just throw it, throw 30 or 40 every day. Have you met R.A. Dickey? Yeah, I played with him in Nashville. Okay. Did he? Oh, Nashville. Uh, 07. Was he throwing the knuckleball? Yeah, he was, that's when he just started. Just, okay. I think it was his second season throwing it. He was 35 at that stage. Did he work on it with you? No. Not I hadn't started doing it then. Okay. Okay. So what? Oh, actually, yeah, I had. I just didn't. I just didn't throw it with him. I don't think. I could throw a wiffle ball. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, look, I, I would say that his is a lot better than mine. Um, but when you're catching it, as compared to when you're throwing it, it's two different things too. Mm-hmm. Like everybody tells me, you know, people that have seen mine when I've thrown it in a game and stuff say, you know, it's comparable to his I'm not going to say I'm not going to say it's major league caliber like his like don't get me wrong um, but they say it's comparable 
I don't know. Work it. I want to see you around for a long time. <laughs> I'll try, I man. I'll try. In, in the big, I mean, what's the plan? Is, is it to maybe craft the knuckleball and get back to MLB? Possibly. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I enjoy what I do here. Um, like, I enjoy baseball here. That's why I'm here. Um, there's, two ways to, there's two ways to look at a career, okay? You chase the money or you, or you chase the baseball and... And for me, it, it's a culmination of both here. You know, you get paid well. Like, you don't get paid major league money. Like, don't get me wrong, and I'm not, I'm not a major league superstar, and, and I never will be, and I understand that. Um, you never know what the knuckleball. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for me here, I enjoy the baseball here. I really do. I enjoy it for, for baseball. Um, I love playing here. Um, less pressure um, here for a multitude of reasons, like... You know, you've got options, you've got free agency, um, you know, you've got designated for assignment in this, this is all in the US I'm talking about, you've got um, uh, arbitration, you've got all of those things that you don't have to deal with here. Um, you, you still have the front office and you still have the coaching staff and all of that kind of stuff to deal with, but that off-field pressure that you've got to put up, that you've got to deal with in the US so much less here so that makes it a lot easier media is less on you on your last um so. yes and no i mean i mean you still do it but it's you don't get scrutinized as much here yeah. you know last night i gave up an rbi single in the first to kim taegun you know number one hitter in the league probably their best hitter i give up an rbi single in the first i would have been answering questions for a half an hour if if i was in the u.s about why why i did what i did but here it's just part of the game. Hey, we won four to three in the end. Looks good for me. Is he the toughest hitter here? This um, toughest guy you've, you've faced here? Yeah, there's a few this year. He's probably he's one yeah. of them. You know, he's um, he's one of the better hitters. You know, you make a mistake to him, he can hit it over the fence. You make a good pitch, and he can still hit it for a double. You know, so um, yeah, he's he's one of their best hitters here. Okay, that will do it. I want to thank Chris Oxspring for taking the time out. Uh, sorry we had to in- cut the interview a little bit short. I had to go and uh, teach a couple of classes. Um, so blame my job on that one. But uh, hopefully we'll get him back on the podcast in the near future. I want to um, thank uh, everybody for listening and continuing to listen uh, to the ComingToAmericaBaseball.com podcast. Special shout out to Mike Nino Ninovaji. And his 19-0 Wanto Warriors baseball team, Wanto High School, Long Island, New York. To get in touch with us on the social medias, we are at coming to A-M-E-R-B-B. That's on Twitter, coming to A-M-E-R-B-B. Or you can go to our website, www.comingtoamericabaseball.com. Chime in, leave a comment, a question for us, uh, for future guests. And uh, check updates uh, daily or weekly. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.